Hello coaches, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. I am your host Dave Mullins. Today I speak with Joey Gilbert who is the founder of JMG Tennis Academy located in Sacramento, California. He is the only coach in the country to win the Development Coach of the Year Award, twice awarded to him by the United States Olympic Committee in 2013 and 2018. He has helped to develop numerous top college players, junior players, and professional tennis players over the last 15 years. In this podcast, we discuss some mistakes coaches make in the recruiting process, how college coaches can facilitate a smoother transition from junior tennis to college tennis, how to maximize the potential of players with limited athletic ability, and Joey also shares his development philosophy, which has proven to be very successful at every level of the game. This podcast is a little longer than usual, but I think it's well worth a listen. Joey Gilbert, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Uh, we've obviously known each other for quite some time, had a year at Fresno State together, which was very enjoyable. You taught me how to play golf, and I'm very appreciative of that. But uh, lots of interesting questions. Uh, usually we just have college coaches on this podcast, but you have such a, an interesting perspective having put so many players into the college system and obviously pro players as well. But um, I'm sure our conversation will take us in many different ways. So uh, like I mentioned, you've been basically spitting out players from your academy like chickens are laying eggs here over the last 10, 15 years. But You've always encouraged, uh, from what I can tell, your very top players to go the college route, um, even though they probably had a lot of temptations to turn pro out of juniors. And, and so why have you encouraged that within your top players? Yeah, no. Uh, um, well, first of all, I'm very, very excited to talk college tennis, uh, uh, pro tennis and all that kind of stuff. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I... I I don't know if I would say I encourage them. You know, it's 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 interesting. You know, the college route. Um, you know, I I feel like there's there's good and bad to to everything. You know, whatever route you choose. And so what I do with the players is is we make a list of of kind of the the pros and cons, and and we go through the list and and wherever that player is at, it doesn't matter if the kid's going pro or a kid's going uh, uh, D1 or D2 or D3, like, hey, let's make a list of pros and cons of the schools, what you're looking for, what your priorities are, basically. You know, it could be education, it could be where you want to live, it could be tennis, it could be, um, you know, the coach, it could be the team, what do you enjoy? And so once we make those two lists, then we look at it and go like, okay, uh, uh, you know, does it fit the college route or does it fit the pro route or does it fit uh ivy league or does it fit um you know the, the 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 great schools out there the top 10 schools of of you know ohio state and, and uh ucla and usc and and uh baylor and tcu and virginia all these schools that wake forest that have been doing great in the um you know the top of college tennis so it we make basically a list pros and cons and, and look at it, but um, our pro players, you know, have, have moved to college. And I think it's a lot, especially on the boy side. So we had Katie, Katie decided not to go to college. 
Um, but on the boys' side, I do think the physical side is a is a big um, hmm. you know component to where I don't know if they're quite physically ready for the tour. You know, and and that's tough on the men's side by 17, 18 to be quite physically ready for the tour. So definitely college helps them give them a little bit of time. And I think college also became a lot more open-minded over the last five to six years, uh, uh, especially when Colin won Kalamazoo in 2013 and then Jensen won Kalamazoo in 2018. I felt there was a huge difference between those five years of, hey, he can go for one to two years and then turn pro. Like that was a very big, um, you know, way more colleges were open-minded to it. Uh, way more were, were setting it up for that, kind of like the basketball one and done or two and done, and way more open to those discussions, which if you look at a lot of the guys in the top 100 in the world that went to college, most of them are in those one to two years and then going pro. So I, I think that avenue was huge for college tennis to, to make it a little bit more of a hybrid, have them play pro tournaments during it. Um, and, and I think once the coaches became open-minded to that, uh, I, I, I feel like that hybrid started moving players into the top 100 in the world a lot, a lot mm. better than it was before that. Okay, that makes sense. And then, you know, you've sat on the other side of the table with players and parents, you know, speaking with coaches as they've been recruiting your players. I'm sure you've had countless phone calls through the years of as coaches have tried to convince you as to why they should send player X or Y to their university and, and not somewhere else. And so what mistakes do you see coaches make during the recruiting process or, or have you seen them make through the years? Yeah, I mean, one, the recruiting process, I'm not jealous of it. It's a, uh, it's a brutal, it's a brutal task. You're selling, you know, you know, you're selling the school, you're selling yourself, you're selling, um, you know, the program and, and, you know, I love college tennis and, and I feel like uh, one of the things that I, I never went that route as a coach because I wouldn't like the recruiting process of selling so much. So I know that's a difficult task. I would say the hardest thing for, for, or what I've seen the mistake is just, you know, to be honest about everything. This will be a funny one. I think is, 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 you know, how many times Dave, you, you tell me even in our recruiting process and going, how many times, you know, did you hear like, okay, there's going to be a new stadium. There's going to be a new, this or there's going to be a new that with the facilities and then it it, it doesn't really happen right like there's mm -hmm. there's one university here that that it's it's I won't name any names but it it, it uh recruited one of our players like 10 years ago it said uh, uh they'd have a new stadium and then uh they just recruited one of our players this year 10 years later and they said they would have a new stadium and it's like you know, the kids aren't going there for the, I mean, maybe some kids are, but, but, you know, they're not. And that, that's the thing is they're selling facilities. They're selling, you know, uh, um, the, the brand a lot. And, and I do think that has some value, but that doesn't keep the kids there. I think tennis, I heard this and I could be wrong that tennis has the number one transfer rate of any sport. And I think that's very much because 
the recruiting process is based off the wrong things, right? It's, it's, it's based off facility, it's based off gyms, it's based off of like, like the, 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 you know, the beauty of the, the campus where you're living instead of making that pros and cons list and going, okay, what am I going to this school for? And then getting uh, probably to know the kid and the coaches and, and that kind of process is, they need to spend way more time on it than they do. They spend more time on, you know, the brand and the facility and, and what, you know, uh, how beautiful the place is and the social side of it rather than, hey, like I'm going to spend X amount of time with this team and with the coaches and with, um, you know, my, my traveling with them and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like really get to know what you're signing up for and what you're dealing with on a day-to-day in basis, four hours a day, you know, the grind of it. And, and so getting to know um, the philosophy of the coaches, the practice schedules, the times, the, how they see the courts, how it works, you know, especially coming from um, how you've been training your whole life, you know, getting into the, the, the I don't know, the little details, I feel like everyone kind of lacks. Yes. Yeah, so, so you're saying, is that on both sides, both the, the prospective student athlete and the coach? So the coach is maybe selling the wrong thing. They're focusing too much on the facilities, on the, the campus life, where they should be focusing more on expressing their coaching philosophy, getting into the weeds, letting their, you know, these players know what the day-to-day actually looks like and, and you know, what their expectations are. Yeah, the coaches, the coaches, you know, look, if you're, if a player is going to come, I mean, it's uh, very similar how they come to our academy, right? They're, they're coming because of the brand or the name, like we've created so many players, we've done really, you know, we've had so much success, so they walk in, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the same thing as all these big universities. I mean, they've, 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 whether they've won championships or, or they have that brand, like they're, this player is coming to them, right? So the player is pretty much a blank slate and I can't blame them for not always asking the right questions, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're just kids and parents are just- um, Parents. Yeah, parents, right? They don't, they don't know exactly on the tennis side what they're looking for. Parents know on the education side what they're looking for, on the school side, on the life side, you know, they're unbelievable with their kids. Um, but, but on the tennis side, that's what's kind of hidden. And I don't, I don't feel like it gets very in depth and I'm in the recruiting process is very difficult. It's, 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 uh, you know, they're limited in time. They're limited in, you know, what they're, what they're getting with that kid. So a lot of the times they're just showing off the, 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 the program and the, the, the locker rooms and everything rather than having three or four hour discussions with them on on tennis right and and looking at video and going listen this is how you play this is what we believe you need to work on this is what what we're going to be doing in the 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 years to come I mean one one I this is the one I find the you know the funniest with our kids going to college is is they all come back and you know yeah I go okay you know what do you do in practices sometimes and they're like well you know, I think there was three or four players said this to me. They're like, 
the first time they went to college and they got to decide what they did in practice, you know, and, and they didn't even know what to say. Like college, college coaches were like, well, what do you want to do today? And, you know, my players are like, well, we've never been asked that, <laughs> you know, so because <laughs> like, I run, you know, I'm not asking a player most of the time what they want to do. I don't think I've ever asked them. I just kind of like, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to work on. I'm the coach. I'm supposed to know this. It's my job. And so so this is what we're doing. I'll ask them how they're feeling or um, ask them some questions, what they what they what they think of this or think of that, but I'm putting the structure together. And so a lot of the times it's getting into those type of things, even, you know, uh, I, probably 10 kids we've sent that have come back and like, well, these coaches want me to play a very different way than what I've been training. And I was like, well, that, that, that would have been nice to hear ahead of time. Right. And then you get, you know, then you get, these transfers because of this. And, and uh, you know, I would say we've sent at least 30 to 40 kids to college. And I would say we probably have uh, five to 10 of them that transferred. And so, so there you go. That's a, that's a, that's a percentage pool. And, and, and I definitely think the high rate of transfer is due to um not getting into the details during during the recruiting process. Okay, and so if I'm a coach calling you and uh, there's a player that I'm recruiting that you've been working with for several years, how would I convince you that I am the best coach for this player? What what is it you need to hear from me to convince you to put in a good word for me with this player? Well, I think the. <clears throat> The more I looked at it, the more I look at open-mindedness. Like, like every kid is coming from these academies or coming from a place, whether it's coaches, parents, um, a situation, kind of what you and I were talking about before is, is there's all different dynamics with each place that is developing a player and different philosophies. So mm -hmm. you're going to have to put the time in to learn it. And you don't have to learn every you know detail that's going to take you way too long it's it's more just getting a general idea of their day-to-day -day, um before they come out so i mean it's it's funny i'm in california in sacramento and surrounded by you know colleges everywhere in california and i'd probably say two college coaches uh uh california college coaches maybe two to three have been to our academy um, you know, it's in, in for producing so many players, like coming to, to see the day-to-day -day operation and see how they're training and see the style and see the philosophy. I mean, I think that's what's, that's the, that's what I'm kind of saying is they're, they're, we're spending so much time on selling this, this visual rather than getting into, um, you know, what this kid's day is. Mm -hmm. And, and their day is, especially at our academy, so different than what the college day is. It's, it's crazy. Uh, uh, we've had multiple kids come back and like, hey, uh, they don't play a lot of tennis and a lot of hours. They want more hours because we train more hours than 20 hours a week right. on the courts, right? And they're limited. 
on uh, uh, how many hours they can train and then you know the school process and in the social life and all that kind of stuff so our kids feel like man I'm not playing near as much tennis so then that gives them anxiety a bit like hey I'm not I'm not training as hard as mm. I used to which also hits their confidence right away and so it 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 just breaks down right from there in the first couple of weeks right like they 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 panic so I think um you know, if I was a college coach, I would definitely make more home visits. Uh, uh, I feel like there's some schools out there, you know, funny enough, we've probably had more schools from outside of California come to our facility than schools inside California, mm. which, is, which always shows me which coaches are trying the hardest, right? You know, they're, they're, they're trying to get these kids and they're, they're, they're trying to learn about the kids and, 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 get to know them personally, meet with the parents, uh, you know, watch them for a day, right? And I know that's hard. You know, they could be recruiting, I don't know, I'm not a college coach, but they could be recruiting 10, five, 10 kids, I don't know. And so if you got to spend two weeks, you know, uh, watching kids uh, days, you know, but, but mm -hmm. I definitely think that would, that leg work you're putting in there is going to save you leg work Sure. Yeah, you've been a college coach. How many meetings do you go through with those kids? Kind of uh, backtracking, maybe mm -hmm. on, on learning about their past rather than than uh, figuring out. And then you you might find in that recruiting process that that kid's not the right fit. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it'll save you time on that side. Well, yeah, you, you talked a little bit about players going um, maybe not recognizing some of those differences between their junior days and their college days, but how can coaches help that transition? So again, if I'm a player and I've just signed with a university to start say next August or September, what can that coach maybe be doing between now and when I get there in September? And also when I do arrive on campus, what can the coach do to facilitate a, a smoother transition? So I, I feel good about, you know, yeah. what I'm about to get into and, and it's not as daunting as maybe it could be. Yeah, well, definitely the, the, that time period of when a kid signs and when a kid gets there is to me the most dangerous period like, mm. like of, of what goes on because I do feel like sometimes communication dies down once mm -hmm. a kid signs, right? Because they've, they've locked it in to an extent. And then also the kid's um, a sense of urgency dies down because he's locked in, you know, the thing. Yeah. So intensity just drops, right? So um, I would I would say to both player and coach, like do keep doing what you were doing in the recruiting process with the kid all the way through to what he gets there. So mm -hmm. that's that's one side of it. Like keep up the same, like judge yourself off of that. Am I calling this kid the same amount? Am I watching him the same amount? Am I uh, doing the details the same amount as I was doing when I was recruiting him? So that's, that's one side I would do. And then the other side is once I would, if I recruited a kid he locked in, I would start putting a program together for him immediately, like, like, and say, and start learning about his current program mm -hmm. and then trying to adapt a program. I would have a wild, uh, uh, adventure if I was uh, on the college coaching side uh, 
So I think it's it would be very interesting if a college coach set it up this way. And some have moved this way more and more. Is like a lot of colleges have three coaches, and um, I'm like, all right, you know, you, you put nine guys on a team. That's one coach per three players, which is which is pretty well, small. At the, at the top of Division One, yeah. Yes, at the top of Division yeah. One. You know, I, I know this is more difficult down below. Um, but but then I would start going, setting these kids up and training them a little bit more individually that way, right? Mm-hmm. So now if I'm one coach and I've got three players, I've got 60 hours with those, you know what I mean? With, with each one, I've got 60 hours. I can train them all individually. So I do think like in our days of, you know, Fresno State, right, doing a, a two coaches, uh, um, you know, 12 player practice for two to three hours. I, I don't see that as a, uh, a way of developing players consistently coming out. You know, there's going to be the top of the, if you do it that way, the top players, the top, the guys playing one or two are going to get the most attention, bottom line. It's, it's, it's very difficult for, and I'm not blaming you know, the coaches for that. It's just, this is how the model works. And so if you start separating it and going, okay, I'm one coach, three players, and I can start doing two-on-ones and I can start doing one-on-ones and I can start doing individual lessons more. I mean, our kids in our academy, when you sign up for our academy, and, and I've, I've seen these posts too, I find it very interesting. They, we, we ask for three to five private lessons a week. You know, and so that's a huge amount of private lessons uh, mm. from a young age, right? So, so if you take Colin or take Jensen or take Katie or take, uh, um, you know, Austin Wang and, and all these other players, we've Eric Cadigan that we've developed from a young age, we're 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 developing them with three to five private lessons a week, and so that's a ton of individual time one on one, right? Mm. And so to go from that to what college, some college tends to is like once every two to three weeks, it's, it's, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. Mm. And, and so that's right away what I tell my players to do is like, hey, ask them how much individual time you get, right? Because this academy is based off of so much individual time. Like, what are you, what are you getting that? So if I was a college coach and I just recruited a kid, I'd go learn about their day-to-day schedule. And then how am I going to not do it the exact same, but give a feeling of that so the kid doesn't feel like his world just got turned upside down because his world on everything else is getting turned upside down, right? His, his mm-hmm. world on doing his own laundry right now and, and, and showing up on time on his own. He doesn't have his parents' help eating correctly, you know, with, with all the food they have at colleges, all this kind of stuff. So if their whole world is getting turned upside down outside of tennis, keeping tennis, you know, intact as much as possible, that was similar through their last five, yeah. six years, I think is, is, you know, is the route I would go. Yeah, no, I think that's that's sound advice, and and uh, yeah, for the programs that have the ability to to do that, and 
And it might be a transition, as you said, like it might be, okay, how do I mimic as much as what they were doing leading in? And then over, you know, their freshman into their sophomore year, maybe you start making some tweaks as they adapt. And yeah, so I think that's great. Well, uh, Joey, you mentioned Jensen Brooksby. I think you coached him from probably the age of eight or so, I believe. And Yes, yeah, I started with him at seven years old. Seven years old. And so I think a lot of people would argue that uh, you and he uh, squeezed every <laughs> bit of um, ounce of ability out of him. I think he's reached a career high of 33 on the ATP tour. Um, you know, he's not a player you expect expect when you watch him to be 33 in the world no no offense I mean it's amazing you know what he's done but you can see some of the the limitations there but he's maximized every part of of his ability his athletic ability shall we say how do you go about helping a player with limited athletic ability reach their potential because every coach is looking for that great athlete yeah you know, it's the first thing, oh, he or she's a great athlete. And any coach who's worked with a great athlete knows, you know, <laughs> there's a lot you can do with that player. And, right. and, you know, their ceiling's a little bit higher. But then there's every so often you see a player who has limitations, but has other intangibles that you like. And maybe a coach doesn't focus on those intangibles enough and is too fixated on the athletic ability side of things. So how would you go about that process I've, I've now got a player who is a hard worker competes well but is limited athletically how am i going to get this player to win a ton of matches for my program yeah yeah great question um uh, it's a long answer uh it, it was funny <laughs> when you go up to the, the the highest level i mean the athletes up there are just amazing really yeah um, uh it's elite and it's uh you know it's the best you know you take an alcarez and and it's just you know athleticism and a sissy process it's like man and and uh for for jensen to compete on that side um athletically is is uh um it was our biggest question mark you know uh, uh when we were when we were developing going that direction i mean uh, uh love jensen in depth but athletically uh, he, he, you know, he's, he's bad. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, he was bad all the way through his career too. And we would joke about it and we would laugh about it all the time. So I have no problem talking about it. Uh, uh, I mean, I think in that, you know, when, when commentators say he's, he's, he's so fast or he covers the court quick, I mean, we all laugh. It's, uh, uh, uh he, he, he doesn't win the sprints against our 16 to 17 year olds out here at the academy, even at 21. He doesn't win the push-ups. He doesn't win uh, the pull-ups. He doesn't win anything athletically, physically. He doesn't win. And so, uh, but that was never an, an interesting, it was, it, it never attracted me and I never understood and maybe I understand a little bit more now getting to the top, top of the game. Um, you know, you go to these, you go to these tournaments and I even went with my daughter the other day and everybody's like, look how tall that kid is or look how big that kid is or, or mm -hmm. they ask like what their parent, how tall their parents are. I was like, what is this, a height contest? I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing here? I was like, 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 I mean, everybody, and I'm just like, 
And, and even my daughter, you know, her first tournament, she's like, that girl's tall, that girl's tall. I was like, what, what are we talking about here? Like, you know, that forehand's terrible. I would like, I would like to talk about that. But all we're talking about, I mean, she can't rally to three, but she's tall. So it's, it's, it's very much, when it comes to athleticism, a visual um, that looks amazing. And, and uh, uh, it's not concrete and it's not uh i look at players out there and i see some of the best athletes in the world and i see holes in their game and then i see some of the 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 lower athletes that have less holes in their game and so a big part of what we do and i do feel that i don't care if it's from the government body of countries or from uh college coaches or from the private sector across the board we search for the best athletes, which I understand why. But tennis at the end of the day is a, um, it's a skilled sport. Um, and, and it's closer to golf than it is, say, football and basketball, where athleticism is so high, right? And so um, where, where, you know, no matter what, I'm not going to be a center in the NBA. Like, you know, that's out the door. And so it doesn't matter what I do skill-wise, it's never going to happen. Whereas on the mm -hmm. tennis court, it's closer to golf. Like, okay, uh, uh, you can put Michael Jordan on the tennis court against uh, against you and I, Dave, and, and we're gonna be just fine. You know, we're gonna make him look like he doesn't know how to move and, and all of these type of things because tennis is a skilled sport. So when I looked at Jensen or, or even a lot of our kids, because we're based in Sacramento and we don't have um, you know, the biggest metropolis or the, the, the most athletes coming through the door. Um, you know, I don't, I, I gave up on looking for that. If I was looking for waiting for Mofis to walk through the door, I think I'd be waiting for a really long time. Right. So, um, so, you know, you do the best with the, the hand you're dealt, but I, I learned you can still win. And, and I felt like, um, two things, two big things that, that, separated it was um, the culture and the philosophy. And those are the two biggest things that I found. If you, if you give a player from a young age, good culture and a good philosophy on how to win, then you know, that kid can take that and get to the highest levels. And, and I really, really believe that if they're, if they're determined enough, focused enough, hard enough working, um, you know, some intangibles come in, they got to have something uh, to it. But most kids do have something. I've, I've, uh, uh, like, I mean, Jensen's the best example. Okay, he's not fast, he's not big, he's not strong. He doesn't hit the biggest ball, doesn't have a big serve. Like I, I brought coaches in here. I was like, okay, you know, he doesn't have anything that everybody says you need to win. Does he have a, a huge forehand? No. Does he have a big serve? No. Does, is he super fast? No. Is he strong? No. Is he, you know, the, like, so how is he win? You know, mm. and he won, uh, I think, when he qualified for the U.S. Open and then beat Burdich and then was, 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 was ahead in the second round, like, like, and he was only about, I think, 18. Um, okay, how is he winning, right? And, and so then that comes to the philosophy. And, and then if you give um, a philosophy 
that a player believes in and they can execute and they're super focused on that, then uh, uh, I believe they can get to the, the highest levels that way. Mm. And so is that philosophy, does that change from player to player based on their limitations or athletic ability or strengths or weaknesses? Or do you have a philosophy that you're applying that you talked about culture, I assume that culture is in place for every player, but is the player development philosophy the same for every player? So it is, uh, interestingly enough. I mean, it, it, it morphs depending on their athleticism and depending on where their strengths are. But interestingly enough, um, whether it was Katie, whether it was Colin, whether it was Jensen, whether it's uh, um, Aiden Mayo, who we work with now, and, and whether, whatever player it is, and, and, and uh, we worked with a bunch of uh, good players, uh, um, Govin, and, and we, we set up the same philosophy. And then what happens is, their intangibles move them to a certain spot. And so, um, for instance, right? So, so, and I don't mind sharing the philosophy. It's, it's uh, you know, it's very different than, than you know, um, the, the, the regular philosophy. And you've heard these philosophies, serve plus one, taking away time, uh, um, you know, players looking to play very aggressive. And, and I'm not against those things, you know, building weapons, all that kind of stuff. Our philosophy is a little different. And so what, what we base it off of um, is to me, and especially I watched a lot of videos on Djokovic and, and on Nadal and on Federer because they've been dominating the game for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started teaching aggressiveness is whoever can make the other guy run more. And, and it was a real simple philosophy of uh, we're going to play this game left to right rather than forward and back. Because I started believing that taking away time was very difficult against Nadal standing 90 feet behind the court, right? Like, how do you take away time? Yeah. This guy is, you know, so far back, he can run everything down. Like, how do you take away time against that guy, right? And, and everybody was giving him a hard time when he first came out. Like he's playing too far back. He's playing too far back. And now I look at Medvedev and Zverev standing 20, 30 feet back on Jensen Brooksby serve, which is comical, right? <laughs> okay. Like, like the kids serving 115 and these guys are, are on the back fence. So instead of saying, why are the, you know, you know nobody's, got, they're just saying, well, that's wrong. Well, maybe it's not. Right, right. Like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? What, what, what look is they're giving them? Right. Like, I never have Jensen stand that far back, and and there is a difference of why. I believe, like, guys that stand that far back have to be some of the most physical, athletic guys. You know, Alcaraz can be that far back. Nadal can be that far back. You watch uh, the clay court players can be that far back. They have to be the biggest, strongest athletes. To be that far back. That's why with the Jensen, I was like, hey man, you're you we're never going that far back. When we go that far back, this is done. And and so that was whereas when I trained Colin, Colin could go that far back because he enjoyed the physical more, he enjoyed the 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 the, the grind of it in the clay court a little bit more and the more heavy top spin and high balls. And so so we based our philosophy off of playing more left to right, making the guy run more. 
more change of directions, more angles, more drop shots, more spins, which then leads into, hey, a player, like more skill, right? A little bit more like all these shots in golf. Like you can have a big guy that can hit a long drive, mm. but, but if he doesn't have a flop shot and he doesn't have the putting and he doesn't have the chips and he doesn't have the sand and he didn't, you know, and, and so then it was more based off of that. And if you watch our players play uh, a lot of redirects down the line, a lot of drop shots, a lot of switching directions, a lot of uh, hitting deep, hitting targets and, and running the person around left to right. And if you, you win that game, I believe then you're, you're playing a different game than the other guy. And then that gives you the, uh, the advantage. And, and it was interesting to me watching people comment on, on Jensen at the highest level, you know, they would say stuff like, well, he, he competes really hard. I was like, well, you know, I can compete really hard. I'm not going to win. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I'm a great competitor, but I'm not going to win. Right. Or, or he's consistent. I actually felt like a lot of matches, he wasn't very consistent. He was making errors a ton, but, but I believe when he was playing the strategy and he was playing the philosophy against guys who are doing the opposite, right? When the, the, the guys are looking to finish the point, hit through them, uh, uh, do a serve plus one. Well, what if you don't let them do that, right? Then mm. what style of game you got to play? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I watched it. Lots of video with Djokovic playing the ball. And I, I watched it and I was like, yeah, Djokovic is running it. Right, right. The uh, you know, real simple. If two guys are on top of the baseline, one steps three steps forward, the other one steps three steps back. You're still the same distance. Mm. You didn't take away time. Right, right. Like like distance equals time. Mm -hmm. If he takes three more steps, you take three more. You didn't take away time. What you did was you opened the court, and now there's so much more space. Mm. So now hitting hard and hitting through them isn't going to run him that much. Hitting, hitting all the angles, hitting the drops and that kind of stuff. So if you, if you really start watching, and that's what, to me, uh, uh, Fed, Nadal, and Djokovic were so far ahead of the game on doing those type of things. I mean, Fed, everybody comments about him coming in, and I do agree with that. But at five all deuce, I thought Nadal and, and Fed were the two greatest passing shot players ever to live. They would... Fed would draw people in like crazy with his short slice. Mm. And now that's a modern day play, right? Like you draw them in, you hit a curving slice off the court, brings them in, and then they hit the pass. Like that, that changed the game. Like, like that went from, you know, in the 90s where it's like you didn't want people coming in to 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 now they're 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 daring you to come in, right? Mm. And so then understanding, well, that slice is moving this way. It's not moving this way. So then trying to come to the net while you're running to the side is very difficult. Then it opens up the other side. So now they're playing a left to right game. And I feel like, I don't know. I don't feel like this is explained that way and, and from what I see it. And I don't, I, I feel like there's, there's different philosophies and, and that throughout tennis. And I feel like, uh, um, you know, Jensen and our players have been able to take this philosophy and run with it. And it's been very successful on a, on a, um, all the way to the, the, the highest of the levels. And then also um, even uh, uh, 
you know, to get them to college and, and to do this, it's been pretty successful through it. If, if um, you know, Jensen's um, match at Australian Open uh, against Casper, um, you know, he was able to, to get the offense a ton and, and, and kind of control that match by moving it left to right on a regular basis. And, and I guarantee if I stat that match, I'm thinking Casper ran more than Jensen. Mm. Even though Jensen was probably more tired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that kind of showed the athleticism, right? Like, like mm -hmm. Jensen's standing in the middle running Casper left to right and Jensen's the tired one. And so then I'm sitting there going, okay, we need to get in the gym more. We need to build the, the physical mm. to compete at that level but and to dominate at that level. Uh, but, but the philosophy was that. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that, Joey. That that's fascinating. Have, have you seen? Um, have you tracked any movement statistics? And you know, seen over time that the player who uh, runs the most loses the most. Have you have you seen anything like that, or is it more just uh, you watching and observing and just recognizing? You recognize who's kind of maybe not dictating play, but I guess dictating play. They're moving the other player. So they and are it's just a different way of being aggressive, right? And mm -hmm. and and I think so so the nice part about getting up to the, the highest part of the games is is now the resources are there. That's that's the one thing that you know I would say in the private sector compared to college and compared to pro, you know, we lack the resources hundred percent. You know, uh, right. the, the USDA has tons of resources, the the college has tons of resources and that's where I would invest more of my resources into is, is getting the, the, I, the top of the game is going very data driven. It, yeah. it was shocking to me when we got to the top of the game and all the data guys were all over Jensen because they could just see he was a data. It was like the perfect guy for mm. that, right? Like he's not, Kyrgios where he's just hitting 140 and in cracking winners and he's making this game look so easy. He's he's playing a percentage game, right? Mm. So they came to us and and they're like, okay, you know, we want to do data with Jensen. And when I started looking at the data and I started shooting it out to them, they were surprised how accurate I was on on his data. But I've been with the kid for 14 years. So yeah. I was like, listen. If I don't know this stuff, I'm not, I'm not really paying attention. I go, so I haven't gotten to do much data and I am interested in that now, doing data on a larger scale of, of tennis, right? And, and that would have to be with an association or with somebody that has the, the, the resources. To sure. But when I sat down and I did Jensen's data, uh, especially when he made that run at the US Open, I had, uh, all the Hawkeye information and, and they could do steps. And um, I asked them straight, like, they're like, what stat do you want to know? And I asked him dead straight, like first questions, like, did he take more steps or did they take more steps? Right. Mm. In, in um, when they were competing and it was an interesting answer um, because he went, he went round to 16 that year. And that was the year he played Joe. Uh, and, and lost, but he had a good match with him. And from first round all the way to the round to 16, every set, and this was the cool thing about the data analysis, every set, his opponent 
ran more than he did. Wow. And so, and, and even those sets he lost, his opponent, his opponent ran more than he did, even Djokovic. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but Djokovic was the closest margin. Mm. That even more interesting, right? Like, so Djokovic was, to an extent, playing a similar, similar mm-hmm. game. Because Djokovic doesn't have the biggest serve, doesn't have the biggest forehand, doesn't have the biggest backhand, doesn't like, like, sure. you know, he just does. Like, it's up there, but it's not. There's no shot that we're going. This is the biggest weapon, and for so long, America, was, especially America, was into that, right? Like, we want to build weapons. We want to build weapons, mm. but. They 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 had they had some of the biggest weapons, but they also had some of the biggest weaknesses. Right. So that that didn't make for three out of five sets over two weeks. Like like it's yeah. risky, right? Tennis is a percentage game over time, and and I feel like I definitely feel like Djokovic knows that. I definitely feel like a Medvedev, right? A Medvedev is 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 the same. Same thing. He he doesn't look like the biggest athlete out there, and and but but he's 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 skilled. He's mm-hmm. playing a, 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 a percentage game, and he's working the points and he's setting it up. So it's it's interesting that dynamic. So yeah, I would be extremely interested in diving into that on a larger scale, not just mm-hmm. right, and, and starting to look at that. So. With that, again, bringing it back to the the college space. So let's say I'm a college coach, um, bringing in an 18-year-old player. You know, they they have a a nice game. They do everything pretty decently. How might I get them or how might I start working on this philosophy with them? Am I trying to develop their skill set so they can hit a nice slice? They can drop shot. They have decent feel. They can hit higher balls, etc., or am I focusing more on, you know, the targets and getting them to switch those targets more consistently, not get drawn into maybe longer uh, patterns of play or, or, or is it a little bit of everything? How, how would you say in the first six months working with a player, get them well, to. I, I, well, one, I feel like, I feel like for the most part, kids are, are pretty skilled unless they have a flaw in their technique, right? You look at the mm-hmm. technique there's a flaw then you could be in trouble there uh, i definitely felt on the pro tour even at the highest level with some of the best athletes i felt like there are certain shots they couldn't hit and mm. i was just, i was actually stunned i i would watch video and i would be like all right jensen like i want you to hit this shot in this spot and i don't believe this guy can do this shot and mm. and because his technique won't allow him this shot won't allow him so so, but it's it building in targets is a hundred percent. So even when we were at Fresno, right, there was like, like for, for better or for worse, there was a philosophy of grinding, there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just going to be a grind. And so, so whether we're doing figure eights or whether we're doing that, this is, this is what it is. I would have liked to know that myself before I went there. <laughs> so, so then maybe I would have thought twice about it, but because I wasn't looking for the grind at that point in my career. But but then but but at least I would I would know, right? So so as a college, I would definitely have a philosophy of like what what do you what do you what do you believe in here? Mm. Right? As an academy, we have that philosophy. Like you're coming in, you're gonna learn this. You're going to learn this philosophy, 
right? And, and if you don't want to, it's okay. Like, I don't mind. If you do, let's go and let's, 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 let's get to work. And so, and then once you get to work, it is about like, all right, I put up targets, I start feeding them balls and I see what they can and can't do, right? There's certain shots that I know Jensen doesn't like to hit. Colin doesn't like to hit. Katie doesn't like to hit. And then there's certain shots I know they love to hit. So then day in and day out, we're going and we're, we're drilling the things they don't like to do. And then we're letting them play points on the things they like to do. And so then it's, it's spreading it out, right? You know, uh, uh, I mean, I'll just point out when, you know, Jensen likes his little slice drop shot backhand, right? That goes that way. He, he enjoys that probably more than hitting a big forehand winner. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It's weird. It's, 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 it's him. It's what he likes. So then, okay, what, do we, what are we going to drill? Like certain spots, certain shots that he doesn't like to hit, right? And, and then you get them confidence in hitting those shots and then it starts opening up the court. So when we're at home on the courts, we're teaching them all the different shots to hit. Then once we go to the matches, we're saying, okay, this is how I want you to break down this guy. And, and it's an interesting shift because at home, they're all kind of frustrated because we're picking on their weaknesses. Like, and so then they're, they're, everyone's a little edgy. Everyone's a little in a bad mood, like, like, like to an extent because you're working on your weaknesses all the time mm-hmm. to get them stronger. And then once you shift it to tournaments, you start going, okay, this is the other guy's weakness. This is how I'm going to break it down. And then our players enjoy that, right? And they're like, okay, now I get to move and, and I get to break down these other guys of what they can and can't do. And, and, and then, you know, it, it, it becomes becomes fun i don't know if i could teach a person just saying like hey you're the biggest athlete i want you to hit the big serve hit the biggest ball stand on top of the baseline and and let's 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 i don't i don't feel there's a lot of thought in that and and so then for me that would be boring and uh uh so for me i i i enjoy the tactical side the strategical side the data analysis side of Hey, how are we going to win this? And if you look at tennis, the best athletes are not, they're not, they're not dominating the sport. Mm-hmm. That tells you that there's more here than just being a great athlete. Mm. Yeah, no, there, there's, there's so much there to uh, consider, Joey. Again, so, so appreciate you sharing that with our coaches. I think they'll find this very interesting and start thinking about it in some different ways. And, and also getting this next generation of, 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 well, coaches and players, and I guess parents as well. I mean, I even remember um, when I was living back in Ireland and I started playing a lot of tennis and, you know, I'm playing in these open tournaments and I'm chopping up the junior players and, and they're all like, they're all like, he doesn't really do anything. Right. You know, and they're not really putting it together. It's like, yeah, I just beat you six one six one without hitting a winner. Like, yeah. and you want to say I'm not very good, and and you know I'm an old man, all the rest of it. But it's like, <laughs> there's no self reflection there. Like, okay, this guy just beat me six one six one. He didn't. He hardly hit a winner. But instead of me focusing on reflecting on that <laughs> and questioning it. And same with coaches and parents, like, you know, they'll mark it down to a bad day. Well, that guy wasn't very good. You just had a terrible day. 
right. understanding like, no, I'm, I'm just picking you apart slowly and, and I'm not making any mistakes or making very few mistakes. I'm not, like I said, hitting any winners, um, but I'm moving you around. I'm, I'm, you know, figuring out what your weaknesses are and I'm going to make you pay for those weaknesses kind of thing. And I don't, so, so it's great that we're having this conversation and hopefully more conversations will happen and more coaches will stop focusing on, okay, who is the kid with the biggest forehand kind of thing, or, you know, this discussion that it's weapons only and start moving into look at Djokovic, greatest player of right. all time. What's this guy doing? Let me maybe mimic that. Strategic, a right. Right. And I feel, I, I feel like every level, whether any sport, like strategically you're looking at, you know, you can look at basketball and Steph Curry and these guys, they changed the game, right? like shooting differently, spreading it out differently, every making three-pointers, like, okay, that revolutionized the game. It changed the game for mm -hmm. better or for worse. It, it, it changed the game. And so it was, it was always so funny to me. Jensen was the funniest because he was the least athletic. He's probably the least athletic that's ever been in the top 100. It's, it, and so each level, it was like junior tennis, it would never work in the 16s and 18s. 16s mm. and 18s, it would never work in college. As soon as it gets college, okay, it'll never work. <laughs> okay, he'll never get the top 100. Okay, he'll never get the top 50. And it was the same people saying this every single time. Mm. And I'm just like, there is no self-reflection here. Even to this day, he, 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 he beats the guy number, number three in the world. You know? Beats number three in the world. There's no, there's no self-reflection going, okay, how is he doing this? Right? Like, like, like not, it's just he doesn't have a serve. Like, like it's just all I hear is, is he doesn't have a serve. He doesn't have a serve. He doesn't have a serve. I was like, okay, I, I agree he doesn't have a serve. Like it's not it's not a huge serve. Well, have you gotten to know the kid? I mean, he has very little upper body strength his whole life. He hasn't been able to throw a football longer than 20 yards, still can't throw a tennis ball over the fence like like you know get to know the kid why but then don't just look at that look at okay we've got we've got a guy that's probably the least athletic out here beating a guy top five in the world mm -hmm. okay. how is he and it's so weird to me nobody's nobody comes up and goes how is he doing mm. everybody just goes well the serve's not very big and i'm just scratching my head going like that's that's what you're that's what you're picking up from watching this mm, yeah there's not i was like i was like yeah i mean i think i can get anyone to say a serve not big like uh, anybody can walk around it's it's just right radar, right right you know the serve's not big but how is he winning these matches and so and and i do believe if uh if a if a really big athlete physical athlete took on the same philosophy, then it does turn into Djokovic. It does turn into Nadal. It does turn into those things. Right. I believe this is the way those guys have been playing. And I believe by taking less athletic players on a regular basis to, to whether it's D1 college tennis consistently, whether it's national championships consistently, whether it's pro tour consistently i believe that this philosophy it works it works mm. and, and and so i do think if if college coaches um were, were a little bit more 
um, and, and college coaches, pro coaches, private sector coaches, all of us just being more open-minded to, to like, okay, there, there are different ways to play this game and different philosophies. Then you do get something like, um, you know, as simple as Steph Curry taking three steps back and going, well, why can't I shoot? Why do I have to shoot from the three-point line? Why can't I shoot a little further back? And then it spreads the court mm-hmm. so far, right? And now it opens up everything for my my teammates. And now guys have to come further out and cover me. And now it spreads the court even more. And then everybody's running with this philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. just just it's just interesting to me. But uh, um, but definitely you can you know. It took me a lot of years to took me 10 years to 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 kind of feel really comfortable mastering it and doing it over and over and over and over again but i i definitely think uh um that style and that that philosophy can be uh, uh learned and, and can be done mm-hmm. consistently yeah well you've obviously done it consistently and replicated it many times and i think you've you've probably produced more top players out of your academy than a lot of, um, you know, I don't say small countries, small and big countries would be thrilled to uh, have that, you know, player after player, year after year, uh, play at those levels. I know my, my home country of Ireland would be, would be thrilled with that. So, um, uh, but there's many others out there. So, uh, you know, Joe, you've been, you know, you've been around all these tournaments at every level, right. From, from under 12s, uh, you know, basic USTA tournaments all the way to US Open, Wimbledon, et cetera. Um, you've also built, um, you know, great business out there in Sacramento. Um, you know, you have your system in place. Uh, you're, you're a self, self-made man, basically. And, and so what lessons have you maybe learned along the way that our coaches can adopt either on or off the court um, that will help their players' programs be the best they can be. Yeah, you know, uh, um, look, uh, I definitely think investing in in um, systems and time with the player, um, putting the hours on court. Um, you know, I, I I feel like building the culture, uh, um, all of these things. You know, get in your bubble and just work you know work 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 and you can learn like all of these things so so it's funny is um a good example you know i think jose garris came to our academy a long time ago uh when when colin was doing well and we had a couple other kids doing well and he's like i think throughout the academy it's like these are some of the best backhands in the country you know and and that was at the time that uh you know america was struggling with the backhand a bit and um, and he looked at that and said that, and I was like, well, what's funny is I had a terrible backhand, you know, in 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 growing up, and uh, uh, and I I threw out everything I learned when I started looking at the backhand, and I just started from scratch, right? Just a a blank slate in my head, and I started feeding balls and started looking at what I liked mm. and what I wanted it to do instead of following the same thing I was taught, when I hear coaches go, well, I was taught this way, I was taught this way. I was like, well, the game changes and the game mm-hmm. revolutionizes. And, and so it's the same thing with the college coaching. Right? Like if you're doing that three, two to three hour group practice with two coaches, like 
try to change something. You know, the game is changing, the times are changing, things are evolving. And that's what I try to pride myself on is, is whether it's a business, whether it's tech, you know, technique, whether it's strategy, whether it's like, everything's going to keep evolving. And, and you can see that with technology and different businesses. You can see that mm-hmm. with, with whether it's Apple or Amazon or, or all these other companies, like tennis is the same thing. And so if you can evolve with it, uh, uh, I mean, I would have, uh, this would be a whole different podcast, but uh, <laughs> so many ideas with, with, with what tennis could do to be more entertaining, right? And mm-hmm. fun and sell it to the fans better. And, and that would be a, a that one I, I, I would have a blast talking about because there's just, but, but we're so limited in, in, in our minds of changing what we've done in the past. And I think tennis is the worst at that, one of the worst sports when it comes to um, always just, it's, it's just about, well, it's always been done that way mm-hmm. and it's tradition. And I'm like, well, tradition is not always good. <laughs> like, like there's good parts to tradition and bad parts to tradition. And we've learned that through history. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. so like maybe making some changes uh, uh, it could be good for the sport and, and it would grow our sport and it would be more entertaining and more people would watch and, and it would be more fun. So I, I definitely think having these conversations and, and I'm looking forward to having, having more of them to, to, to see if we can, uh, uh, you know, brainstorm outside the box a little bit. And I think mm-hmm. charges get stuck yeah. doing the same thing year after year. Uh, I think, I think uh, academies get stuck doing the same thing year after year. I think, uh, um, you know, all parts of the, the tennis model get stuck instead of going okay let's sit back and go really is this what's what's working and what's best right that would be my my um you know if you have a bunch of kids transferring from your school like sit back and go okay what can what can i do differently Mm -hmm. to to do it and and like you said self-reflect don't blame you know if a kid isn't doing well with us um i never blame the kid Mm -hmm. i blame the team the kid part of the team but i blame the team you know i sit down with the parents i sit down with the kid i sit with myself and be like all right this isn't working and how do we move this the right direction you know what pieces do we have to move so i try not to point fingers and i just try to um, look at whether it's our business whether it's our coaches whether it's our academy whether it's our parents whether it's our players how do we do it as a that's the culture how do we do this as a team to move it a better direction and and then for me it's fun to come to work that and yeah. it doesn't feel like work. It, uh, it goes time goes fast and it's it's fun and i enjoy it good good yeah no it's definitely we should do a round two i'd love to get into more of those those uh things with you i do have a theory that because of the popularity of tennis kind of in the 70s 80s um, that everybody kind of sat back and, and assumed that tennis would be fine, that it would stand the test of time. It would always be popular. There wouldn't be these other 
sports that come up that are capturing the imagination of, of next generations. I mean, when I was a kid in Ireland, right, there was probably four or five sports that I could play, maybe a few more in America with football and basketball. But now you've got everything under the sun. You've got virtual sports. You know, you've got BMX, you've got X gaming, you've got skiing, mountain biking. I mean, all these UFC, things now have UFC is huh? huge. pickleball is huge. Like pickleball, that. you've got yeah, you've got all these challenges, and and um, like you said, I, I think that's one of the struggles for the tennis industry as a whole, and, and college tennis is no different. Uh, just a, a reluctance to to change, and um, as you talk about the the um, you know just the, the things that we've had in place for for all these times, the traditions. Um, not all of them are good and not all of them are healthy for a game. So, but let's, let's do a round two on that some other time, Joey. I'd let's, love to do that. That would be yeah. fun. That one, that one piques my interest, uh, uh, an extreme amount because we love this game, right? You love it. I love oh it. Oh my God. Yeah. We're dedicating our lives to it. So yeah, we want to uh, see it. My, my daughter's in it. I, I want to see it. I only want to see good things come from it. So I, I feel like, uh, um, and, and I do feel like, more conversations on that rather than going like i always see the comments like well that's the rules that's the rules that's the rules well you know is it a good rule right right like like just stop for a second and go does this rule make make sense right and and then and then dive into that right rather than just constantly blindingly going well that's the rules you got to follow the rules and that's what I feel like tennis does 24 seven is, is mm. just, that's the rule. You gotta follow the rules. And I was like, well, you know, it, it, I agree, follow the rules. I'm not saying don't follow the rules, but I'm saying, well, can we have a conversation yeah. to say like, is this rule good, right? Is it, is it, is it good for tennis for the long haul? Does mm-hmm. it make sense? Can we hear different opinions? Can we have debates? without it being arguments or fights or unhealthy or, or uh, two players doing it over Twitter. Like, like, <laughs> like, 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 like I don't know if that's the healthiest way to, to, to go about it, right? Like how about we, 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 we do it in a, in a way that, that can prosper um, tennis rather than in a way that, that, that kind of makes the sport look worse. Yeah. And I always get a kick out of people. Well, probably on Twitter, mostly. I don't know why I even waste my time, but how, how sure they are of their opinion. Like, it's like, you're so sure. Like you said, this, this rule is, this is set in stone and we should never question it. We should never look to evolve it. We should never look to eliminate it. And then, yeah, people on the other side saying it's the worst thing in the world. It needs to be gone. Well, maybe there's some middle ground. Let, like you said, let's just have a conversation. Right. Let's have a conversation. I, I, I feel like, uh, um, you know, those conversations are never, never had. Right. And, and I, I know, I mean, I've been uh, uh, development coach of the year multiple times and I've never, I never get in the rooms on those conversations. So then mm. to me, I know those conversations probably aren't happening if I, unless Nobody, unless they just don't want to hear my opinion, which might be <laughs> might be accurate. Also, I, I probably wouldn't blame them, but but because it's it's going to be more outside the box, right? And and uh, um, 
but you can take this from junior pathway to junior tournaments to to college tennis to to pro tennis to uh, TV to the announcers like just across the board start 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 looking at like okay let's break this down and go is this is this really what's best for the sport and then can can if it's not or if it is are there better ideas out there right I don't know if there's a group out there going that way and if you look at the NBA you look at the NFL you look at um, soccer you look at other sports I just feel like they're evolving so much faster than tennis and and for sure. you, know, you look at something like pickleball they're just on a craze right now um, mm -hmm. pick it up you look at UFC they just went on a craze picking up so fast and going okay like like what are we doing to evolutionize our game and change our game to to this generation to the next generations to to the sport itself and and just to where it's um where, where it's enjoyable and fun and, and moving in a good direction rather than it's just well this is just you know always the way it's been Mm -hmm. And so, Joey, I mean, ha have you seen changes then in the last 10 years in the pathway from junior tennis to college tennis? Ha have there been changes that you've noticed? I mean, probably from the junior standpoint, the biggest change uh, was probably UTR, right? Uh, 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 definitely such an interesting uh, conversation with, you know, having Colin at that point where there was no UTR going into college to Jensen going into college where there was a UTR because Jensen's UTR going into college said he was basically, you know, the top college player already. And mm -hmm. so uh, uh, you couldn't judge where a junior was going into college before. It was very difficult to, to say like, this is where he plays in the lineup or this is what he is in the overall picture. Now, yeah, you can go on there and go, okay, what's, the UTR of Stanford's top six, right? And, and you can get an idea of level and where you're at. I'm not saying I, UTR is like the end all be all kind of thing, but it gives an idea of, of, of level, right? And, and I think that was probably one of the biggest changes in junior tennis. It really made, it made um, you know, the, 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 the college coaching different, you know, as far as recruiting. Mm -hmm. um, I think it simplified it for that's good and bad. Uh, um, you know, I feel like uh, maybe coaches don't have to do their homework as much as they used to, which is not a good thing. But then at the same time, it gave them a better idea of, say, uh, what the tennis recruiting, right? Say you have a blue chip who's one or two in freshman year and sophomore year, but the UTRs could be completely different. And so that now you know when there's a strong year and when there's, there's a weaker year and, and these type of things. And so then you're able to judge this more on a, a larger scale. So I definitely feel like, and then UTR also helped kids that couldn't afford to travel around the world to, to, to get to these tournaments, to build up their, their mm -hmm. ranking per se. Um, you know, you can play locally, you can build your UTR that way. And, and then you could still get a uh, uh, a good scholarship. I'm in California. I told some of my parents, I was like, listen, you don't really need to leave California until you're the best player in California. Yeah. This will save you, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand throughout, throughout this process. If you want to save that money, if you want to go around and seeing where your kid is ranked in the country and uh, 
so it was funny. Uh, we had a kid that was, you know, eight years old, and I've watched enough tennis, right? And and I'm like, yeah, they're probably one of the best eight year olds in the country. And the mom and dad's like, how do you know that? And I was like, ah, I just watched it enough. You know, I've seen enough eight year olds come through my yeah. Academy that I know. And they're like, well, we're gonna go play this national, this national, this national. They went and played it, came back, kid got second, and they're like, he's one of the best in the country i was like well i could have saved you a lot of money <laughs> you know if, they, if, they, if you need that that confirmation you need that trophy you need that you know sometimes they would say that builds the confidence to the kid like like okay like like i get it but you, know, you could have saved a lot of money there and then you know, they will complain about money <laughs> i'm sitting there going well there's there's a way to save here right so um, even with my, uh, my daughter's nine, I don't, I don't see myself flying around the country uh, 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 just to go see yeah. if she, like, I know what her level is. And uh, uh, I have a tough time driving very far <laughs> you know, to, to go find out like, you know, what, what her level is because I know exactly what her level is. And so right. I, think, I think that, that UTR really changed you know it's giving you the information so you don't have to do those things so that's that's definitely one thing that um you know from the junior pathway to the college pathway i'd say in the last five to, to seven mm -hmm. years really changed the, the the perspective of what people can do how much money they can save mm -hmm. uh, tournaments they can play uh um all that kind of stuff it, it, yeah. it changed the landscape of of um, junior tennis. Yeah. Well, now we have the ITF World Tennis Number, which is is doing that globally. Uh, you know, that's that's what we're excited about. That. Um, I think that's great too. I mean, getting a level based play it just makes sense, right? It just. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I would love to see them do, you know, uh, uh, just to save people money, right? Like, God, it's, so, it's such an expensive sport. Like, okay. Yep. ITF 25K is based off of a level you get in, rather based off points, right? Like, like, yeah. I mean, gosh, when you got to fly around the whole world to 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 pick up these points, you're spending so much money, and that just deteriorates mm -hmm. kids from trying to go pro and and trying to chase a dream to an extent because it's just so expensive. Where if if I get a player to this level in Sacramento and I know I can get into this tournament to play pro level because the level is, is good enough. That would just be, I think that would solve so much of America's problems too, because Europe has a huge advantage on that side. I mean, Spain and, and they got a future every two hours within a two hour drive because Europe's so uh, um, close together and the, 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 the travel is so much easier mm -hmm. out of control. When I went to Europe, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is so nice. Whereas in, in America, like, you know, when you get to the 15Ks and the 25Ks, it's it's so difficult to 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 get your player going at that level. You're mm -hmm. you're asking for wild cards all the time to to get them started. Um, I got a I got a player right now, 14, 15 year old girl. She's ready to play um, the 25Ks, and and how do I get that started level wise, UTR wise? She's good, you know, to to get in. And so if the the ITF would and that's one of those traditional things, right? Like, like, mm -hmm. can we can we change that for the greater good? I don't think anybody can argue that that's not better. No, I, <laughs> I, I, 
Yeah, and I think I think it's heading in that direction, Joey. Just based on in, in the conversations that I'm fortunate now to to be in, I, I do think we're we're heading in that direction and actually going to sync up the the global tennis ecosystem. Finally, it's still got some hurdles to get over. We've still got you know different alphabets involved, but I do think uh, this generation of tennis administrators are really trying to to learn from mistakes of, of previous generations and, and work more closely together for the betterment of the sport. Cause we all need each other at the end of the day. So, um, but lastly, Joey, just one, one more question is, is, and obviously we have a very small percentage of our membership have players that go on to play professionally, but we do have, have a, a small percentage um, and, and a lot of them listen to this podcast. And I think we'll be interested to hear what, what you have to say. And we have the recent announcement with the ATP Accelerator uh, program where the ATP are going to use our ITA rankings to facilitate that transition, provide wild cards into challengers so they can skip over the 15, 25Ks. And we hope to have something similar on the women's side here shortly. Um, but what would you recommend to a college player or to a college coach who has a player that wants to play pro? Um, you know, what advice would you give to them making that transition? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, look, it, it goes back to setting up a system the correct way. Right. And, and I think when it comes to that transition for college to pro or junior to pro, you know, it's very important to have a good team around you, right? And, and, and don't just go out there by yourself. I mean, it, after being out there um, so many times and, and I've gone through the futures, 15 k 20 grades, when you see the kids traveling by themselves, right? And the players traveling by themselves for long periods of time, it just never works. It's just it's yeah. such a difficult road, right? Even if a parent's traveling with them, that's that's healthier but but when i watched it was funny every every group i went to every level right when when the team was there with a player that player seemed to move levels the best right so don't when you're in college and go okay i'm gonna go pro like like you just start going to play tournaments so better to sit there and go okay just like starting a business how am i going to put these pieces together and how am i going to set this up where's my home base where are my coaches how much are they traveling with me how, what's my day to day like have a strategical plan to to go don't just hey i'm going to go pro and and i feel like if i watch the ones who have done, i remember seeing center for the first time at a challenger and he was just uh, it was when Jensen was him and Jensen first were at the same challenger and it was in Aptos and nobody heard a center quite yet. And I was watching it and it was just, you know, he had a team and it was very, mm. organized, it was very disciplined, it was very focused. And, and same with Korda, same with uh, Nakashima, same with Jensen, same with Alcarez. When, when you're watching these guys, it's, it's everybody, once they get to the top, they're like, wow, they're amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> like, well, well, did you see him in the 25 case, right? Did you see right. him in, in the juniors, right? Uh, when, when Jensen was 12, we were at a camp and I saw Brandon Nakashima. I was like, I pointed to Jensen. I was like, okay, uh, that kid has, has it together. And it wasn't that I thought his forehand was amazing. His backhand was mm. amazing. It was the organization. It was, 
it was it was the focus it was the setup it was the team it was it was very um purposeful it was they had a philosophy they had they, they had everything and i was like all right that and i and anybody can i said that's going to be your biggest competition fast forward in the 18s they end up playing each other every four times in the, the 18s wow. whether it's Kalamazoo finals, whether it was Easter Bowl, whether it was junior US Open, they just kept up playing. And I was like, I, 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 was, I was right. And mm. I was right because, not because I was looking at his forehand and backhand, but because I was looking at the system. So if you have a player and, and you're going to go, okay, I'm going to go pro, setting up like, get him a coach that believes in him, get him a system, get him a home base, get him a daily routine, get him a coach that travels get them those things. And that's where the financial aspect is just brutal. Right. And that's, to me, that's where the, 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 the ATP, the, the, the ITF, the, the, the governing bodies, whether it's the USDA or other countries have to jump in and go, okay, this is our sport. How do we make this more feasible? Right. Mm -hmm. and, or find it like like to go pro in the NBA or basketball or soccer or anything. It's like like the team is taken care of. It's it's, yep. it's 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 there is no burden there, right? And and so, um, but that's the in junior tennis, it's a little bit more reasonable. It's still still very expensive, but if you're smart, you can you can do it. But but even uh, to start soccer compared to tennis or baseball, I mean, it's it's. Tennis is a little different because it's so individualistic, and and yeah. uh, I think they have to look at how to how to do that. So on one side, we've got to get better at building a team for some of these kids and, and looking at it. And that's what you know. I would I would tell a college coach is like just don't like if you care about the kid and you want the kid to be successful, don't let him just okay, I'm going to start signing up for tournaments in Cancun and start going mm -hmm. world. You're just, you're just, it's a cool experience, I guess, but you're just throwing away money as far yeah. as development, right? And, but if you, if you want to do it right, and I've had a couple of college coaches call me and be like, hey, Joe, I want, I want them to base out of, out of your academy. And I want the, you know, do you have a coach to travel with them? And, and, mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're looking to set that kid up correctly to, to have success into that. And I think that's what they, they, they should be doing. And then also be honest, like with the kid, if, if, they, if they're ready for that and if they're at the level. Yeah. Well, Joe, I think this is the longest podcast I've ever done, but it was, <laughs> uh, it was a blast. I learned a lot. I, I think our coaches will really enjoy uh, listening to this and, and start applying some of the things or at least thinking about some of those uh, you know items you mentioned around your philosophy and, and how that might apply to their programs their players their recruiting philosophy etc so uh, this was great and let's do a round two at some point yeah I'd love to Dave I appreciate you having me and uh, uh, always a pleasure and always good seeing your face and I'd uh, love to run into you again sometime uh, uh, down the road in person but uh, really appreciate you having me and uh, for sure would love to do another one great i look forward to it joey coaches just a quick reminder that our ita college tennis coaches convention will be held during the ncaa combined championships from may 17th to the 20th in lake nona florida 
If you would like to learn more or register, please visit convention.itatennis.com. I hope to see many of you there.